Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are quite tired. Uh, we've been tired, I think, for five years, whatever. How long have we been doing this <laughs> podcast? We've been doing, we've, we've been tired for the entire length of this podcast, and we're even more tired now because there are so many things to be tired about. Uh, it's so it is. I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and as always, with me is Karen Peterson. And this week, I am very, very literally tired too because <laughs> it's just been a lot. <laughs> you got a, you got a lot of stuff going on too. I do because you know I'm moving next week, and so I thought, why not take a trip out of town before I do that? That should be fun. Yeah, that wasn't smart, Karen. Like I hate to say it. As I your really friend, I say friends. that wasn't smart. I know. I understand. I understand that. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I just, I, I looked at my calendar and realized that the next time I'd be able to have a chance to come up and see them was like in the summer. And I went, that's, that's too far. So <laughs> I came up now a week before I move. Like I say, I mean, you know, it's to, <laughs> there are some things that, you know, you, we make choices in life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I understand that. Well, there's also just a lot of a lot of difficult stuff that has happened this week. So, you know, happy Women's History Month. We are just talking about all kinds of horrible violence towards women. Great. So yeah, glad, guys. Super cool. Thank you for not even taking the month off. Um, so let's start with, I guess, one of the things that is more applicable to this particular podcast because we were about film and we started out the entire podcast talking about garbage men and the Harvey Weinstein case and all of that wonderful shit. We've talked about so many terrible men. So we keep insisting on being terrible. And they do. They do. That's the problem, isn't it? And so we need to talk about Army Hammer. I don't want to talk about Army Hammer, but we need to talk about Army Hammer uh so not like like two days ago this was two days ago jesus christ um a a woman finally came forward uh in a press conference on thursday accusing army hammer of uh, rape and physical abuse during their four-year relationship which lasted from 2016 to 2020 um and it's we'll provide a link to the variety article where this initially broke it's it's a very disturbing allegations and um you know absolutely no reason to disbelieve them or anything like that and this is very much a part of uh some of the ongoing stuff that we've been discussing about hammer who has um uh, been accused of a number of different things. Unfortunately, it, some of it has turned into a bit of a joke, which, uh, you know, we've kind of participated in a bit, but there, there was all of this focus being shifted to, you know, like, oh, he's a cannibal, and there were jokes being made about that. And now it's like, okay, this is actually a serious, real thing. Like, this this woman is alleging that he raped her for four hours. Um, and, and so now we have to actually address this in, in a much more serious way. The, the allegations are really terrible and he is being investigated in LA County 
um, for abuse. You know, <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, some of it's a little surprising in that for a while he had been kind of the he seemed to be one of the okay ones, you know, and maybe that, and that's obviously part of his public persona. Uh, but some of the stuff that has been talked about about him, it's unfortunately overlapping with these arguments about um, S&M and, uh, and bondage and things like that. And the problem is that people are beginning to, uh, are already beginning to equate a interest in SNM or a participation in SNM with abuse, which is those two things do not are not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's like a. Remember that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go on. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say, yeah. There's this uh, like perception I think that some people have because that just seems so. When you're outside of something, you don't understand it, and it just is weird, you know. And so there's this perception that a lot of people have that anybody who would want to participate in that it's to legally be able to um, do some of the things that they wish that they could do. It's like a wish fulfillment. And it's like, no, that's really not what that's about. I don't know tons about it, but I know it's not that. Yeah, there's, well, and unfortunately when things like this come out, right? So it comes out that he's, that he's being accused of rape. It comes out that he's been violent with women. There, there is this impression just like, that that his lawyers you know say like well this was a consensual you know bdsm relationship it's like no that's those are not the same thing again you can't and so they're equating um an snm relationship with accusations of abuse and saying like well but it's actually not abuse right mm. and that's always that's one of the difficult things that gets going with this kind of thing but it's it's distressing and it's disturbing and um and unfortunately, at this point, given everything that has been talked about over the past couple of weeks, it's not surprising. Yeah, well, and the thing is that, like, I mean, yeah, the first the first rumors that came out that there was some cannibalism fantasies and things like that, we talked about it on this podcast and we laughed about it because it seemed ridiculous. It seemed so silly that and and far-fetched it's like okay maybe he's done some bad things but surely he hasn't done that and it's like then you have this girl come out and say no i actually thought he was going to kill me then it just it makes this whole thing just that it just gives it this weight that was easy to laugh off when it seemed like it was uh, just a lot of rumors and and things but now it's like mm, uh, I don't know we need to take this seriously I mean you always need to take it seriously when uh, when women are saying this happened to me and and so when the first rumors emerged we were like kind of 50 50 right we were taking the rape accusation seriously but laughing off the the jokes about you know ribs and stuff I don't know it's sick it's sick it's so gross but um yeah, I, it, it, it's so frustrating to me because, you know, I, you know this, I'm well documented not having been a fan of Army Hammer until on the basis of sex when he played Marty Ginsburg and like the ultimate, just like amazing ally, this great husband guy. And then I was just like, oh, well, hello. And it totally changes your perspective of someone when you see them play a character like that. And it did add to his um, his persona, his ability to just convince the world, at least some of the world, that he's this, you know, this 
one of the good ones, one of the ones that we can, we can trust to support women. And it's when stuff like this comes out, it's like at this point, after everything that we've seen over the last uh, four, four years, I don't know. We started in 2017 and everything that we've seen over that time, it shouldn't surprise us anymore, but it's still, I don't know. It still does. I think because there's still part of us that holds out hope that really it isn't all men. Well, I, th- I think that that's what you want there to be. And there are good men, right? And there, I, are. there are good men in Hollywood, but there's this sense of like, they're, <laughs> we keep on losing them, right? We keep on going <laughs> yep. like, okay, that one isn't good. And, and, you know, and you look back, you're just like, well, are there warning signs or there are things that, you know, maybe we should have kind of been able to understand that like oh this this guy wasn't one of the good ones but the the problem is that sometimes yeah they do present these faces that are like oh no this is an ally this is someone who is who is cool or or even not just that he's not that he's an ally but that like there's nothing wrong with him right there's Mm -hmm. no problem there's no problem that's there and then something like this happens and it does you know we talked about this last week It, it is that sense of we don't know we don't know who is good we don't know who is bad we want to believe that most of you are good but we don't know that and and because you know you can't look at someone and go like he's a creep he's not i mean sometimes you can but even when someone looks creepy they're not necessarily (laughs) sometimes i've met creepy looking people who have been perfectly nice human beings i don't know maybe there actually are creeps who knows but but that's the thing you don't you don't know Mm um and and, and you don't know, and when it comes to celebrities, you don't know who is putting on a public face and who isn't, who is, you know, has done some horrible things and who hasn't. Um, and and that's, that's it's very wearing, it's very tiring. It's it's tiring, you know, I don't know Army Hammer, I've, I've never met him or anything like that, but it's very tiring to know like, oh, it's another one, right? Another one bites the dust kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so we'll put a, a link to the Variety article that everybody can read through. It's it's disturbing. It is, you know, trigger warning for that. It, it oh, yeah. doesn't it's go into bad. it doesn't go to a great deal of detail, but it is enough detail to know that the, this is not an idle accusation. This is not someone who's clout chasing or anything like if that. If you're yeah, if you're sensitive to this topic, proceed with caution when you read yeah. it because right, it doesn't go into super specific details, but there's enough that it was hard for me to read. Yeah. And I've read a lot of this stuff, so. Mm-hmm. So let's let's get some of the other dark stuff out of the way, so we could talk maybe about things that are a little bit happier for the rest of the podcast. Uh, I just wanted to address really quickly the um, the shooting in Atlanta and um, this discussion about the fetishization of uh, particularly of Asian women. And when we say Asian women, we're talking about actually are talking about the entire continent of Asia. Um, and, and the way that the media has been kind of complicit in representing um, Asian women generally, and particularly Chinese and Japanese women and Korean women as uh, in, a, in a particular way. Uh, and one of the things that came up following the Atlanta shooting um, was this whole discussion about like, well, you know, there's this stereotype of, of women being, um, you know, being subservient, being the, being sex workers, um, and not just, and I mean, I'm not saying the sex workers <laughs> deserve to be abused, but being sex workers that, uh, that, that deserve to be abused. That's the way that people talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the way that the media has kind of played into this, uh, a number of different people on Twitter have talked about um, how so many films that are set in during the Vietnam War period represent very clearly the rape of, uh, of Vietnamese women by white soldiers. And they very much dehumanize the Vietnamese women. It's not really about them. It's about the suffering of the soldiers. It's about the horror that the soldiers are driven to. Uh, you know, all of the jokes that you get in, in uh, TV shows like Family Guy or in a lot of different films where the, there's just this constant reinforcement of the lack of humanity or the, uh, the objectification of particularly Asian women and how that's turned into, you know, the butt of a joke, how it becomes something that, you know, we take for granted almost. And this is a conversation that we need to have much more because while obviously films did not cause the shooting in Atlanta, but it is part of the culture of misogyny and is part of the culture of um, objectification that we participate in um, and that films participate in and television participates in. And we actually have to address that. Uh, my kind of pet example of this, one of the things that bothered me a great deal last year was some of the complaints about the representation of Cassandra Cain in Birds of Prey. And there were complaints about, well, in the comic books, she's mute. She's this uh, assassin who has been, um, who's been this, this girl who's been turned into this perfect assassin, right? By basically being deprived of human contact and of speech. And I, I think that, you know, the comic books I, I understand are a lot more complicated than just that. But one of the issues that I had with some of the complaints about her characterization in Birds of Prey is that a lot of them were like, well, here you have this adolescent uh, Chinese American girl mm -hmm. and you're complaining that she isn't silent. Yeah. Right. And there is, there is I, there's no way that we could get around it. There is a fetishistic aspect to that. Absolutely. This idea of the silent girl, of the silent Asian girl. Mm -hmm. um the silent asian woman and that and that trope of the the you know silent asian female assassin pops up in a lot of things it pops up in um tarantino's kill bill mm -hmm. yeah. and that's that's again very disturbing because that is another form of dehumanization it's this insistence upon silence it's this insistence upon lack of humanity uh, and, and there is a very deeply fetishistic aspect to it. So I, I'm still bothered by that. And I think that we need yeah. to continue to think about, it, especially given then something like Birds of Prey, there was a deliberate choice by a female director who is of Asian descent. Exactly. And I to think do something different. Yeah. And that got so ignored or at least just completely dismissed. And it's like, you know, I, I saw people say that they were ignoring um, ignoring the history of the character, didn't understand the history of the character. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that her giving her that her Kathy giving giving us a Cassandra that is very different than the one you were expecting was a very specific and deliberate choice. And maybe you need to examine yourselves and why you so desperately needed the silent Asian character. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the things actually not coming with a background with the comic books at all, one of the things I really liked about her is that she isn't a trope. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and there was a part of me, even when I had heard initially heard about the character that I was like, oh, is this going to be like the, the character in Kick-Ass? Right. right. That sort of, and, and obviously she, that, that um, character isn't Asian, but it's the same kind of thing. This, this 
adolescent assassin, right? Mm-hmm. And then she wasn't that at all. She's brassy. She's outspoken. She's, you know, she's sarcastic. She talks way too much. Um, <laughs> and it's actually, and she has this great relation that she develops this great relationship with Harley as a result of that. This like Harley, I think, recognizes something of herself in this girl. In fact, all of the women do. Yeah. Um, and, and it really troubled me that there was so much criticism of her specifically that, you know, why wasn't she silent? Why wasn't she this? Why wasn't she that? It's like, maybe there is a reason for that. I think this fetish, fetishization, <laughs> I had to say that slowly so I could say it correctly. Um, I think that it is so ingrained and so normalized in culture that it's not recognized for what it is. And so I think that a lot of people, most people who had their complaints about about Cassandra, who have been dismissive of what really happened in Atlanta with these particular women and why they were targeted, I think it's 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 almost I think in most cases it's probably very unconscious. They don't realize what they're really doing um, because it's just it's just such a normal thing. This, this mm-hmm. fetishization is just part of, as you've pointed out, it's been in movies and TV so much that we just don't even think about it. Yeah, so, so the, we're talking about American and Western media here. And a lot of the time when we talk about racism, we are not talking about, um, we're not talking about anti-Asian racism. We talk about uh, um, anti-Black. We talk sometimes about um, anti-Latino, but we do not talk that much about anti-Asian racism. Um, And that's, and I I think that some of that is because in, at least in America, we've, we've treated of this kind of concept of the model minority um, that people of Asian descent in the United States are like, well, they're the good ones, right? They're, so a lot of the stereotypes are considered to be positive stereotypes at some level. Uh, and so we don't talk about the damage that stereotyping generally does. And we don't talk about the negative stereotypes that exist. They become this like, you know, secondary concern basically. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it, like I said, it's prevalent in our media. So it's a stereotype to treat of, the you know silent female assassin um even though that might seem like kind of a positive thing oh she's a badass she kicks ass she beats people up she kills people you know she can do it just as well as men can it's just like yeah but it's still fetishizing mm-hmm. um and and we need to we need to deal with that a little bit so i just wanted to address that uh for a few minutes because you know everything's terrible yeah and i just want to say to you like our hearts go out to the people in Atlanta who are dealing with this and, and, and the people that have been affected by it, not just in Atlanta, but all around the country. And it's, it's a really horrible thing. This shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be still dealing with this stuff in 2021 in America, but Mm -hmm. uh, we are. And it's something that because of, because of the fact that we still are, we need to talk about these things and we need to give attention and notice to them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so this is going to be a major shift. I don't know how. There's so no like, good segue. Just... There's no segue to this. So let's talk about the Snyder Cut, <laughs> um, which I have not watched. I do not intend to watch. Uh, I saw part of the original Justice League and I did not like it. I don't like 
any film made by Zack Snyder, I'm trying to think. I enjoyed 300 in kind of a big stupid way, but that's really about it. Uh, so, I like yeah. Watchmen and I like Dawn of the Dead. Other yeah. than that, <laughs> no, I don't, yeah, I don't like, and I don't, like, I don't think of those movies as like favorite movies or anything. It's just like when I think of Zack Snyder films, I'm like, eh, yeah, those ones are pretty good. I, I like those. I'd watch those again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, I did watch Justice League. It was oh terrible. I have not watched the Snyder Cut. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, technically I did because when I saw Justice League, it was directed by Zack Snyder. <laughs> so I don't care what they say. He already directed his movie. And this is the thing that's driving me crazy. It's like, um, what? I mean, they wouldn't get a chance to anyway, but like what woman has had a director's cut of her film like how often do women just keep working on the same freaking movie for years later very I can't few. think of one <laughs> yeah i can't i i can't either and i mean a lot there are a number of female directors that that have a bit more control you know i'm thinking people like claire denis or someone like that who does mm-hmm. have a lot of control over her, the final product but yeah i mean like i i think what drives me crazy about this is not so much the actual film but the how weird, we got to this point yeah yeah, how we got here the weird narrative that is kind of cropped up along uh, around it and i'm sorry guys i'm gonna say this again it didn't exist no this is not a film that exists you don't it spend not- 70 million dollars to produce a movie that you already have in the vault yeah, exactly. It, so there was this whole idea that there was a secret cut, right? That was like this film that Zack Snyder actually intended to make. And it's still be, this idea is still being propagated by critics, by all kinds of people. And it's just like, this was not true. This isn't real. This isn't a real thing that existed and they just released it. This is something that they made. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they did some pickup shots from my understanding. So this isn't even all based on his original film, which one of the one of the things that people complain about, and this is why it never made sense to me that Joss Whedon didn't get to share director's credit, because if all the stuff is true that they've said about what happened to that film, he should have. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could see anybody not wanting to put their name on it, so I get that, but because <laughs> it's so <laughs> terrible. But um but it's like so the cinematographer said that like 90 percent of what he shot was not in the movie which it's like okay well that's usual when you make a movie especially a big budget studio film that a lot of that you shoot a lot of things that don't get there but basically he was saying that they did so many additional uh pickups that he was not part of that the film didn't look like anything he had shot so so that was weird um and if that's the case then I, I mean, maybe this was constructed mostly of that original footage. I don't know. I watched the first, like, I didn't even make it through an hour. I just had it on and I was just, I'm just, I was curious. Um, I was not hate watching it. I saw some people complain that people were hate watching. It's like, no, you're right. I do have better things to do with my life, but I am curious because a few people have said, this is really, really great. It's so much better than the other. So I thought I'll just turn it on and watch some of it. And I will say that, yes what i saw so far it is much better than the one that came out a couple years ago the theatrical one it is but he's also had four years or whatever to listen to all the things that people hated about the other movie (laughs) and fix them 
<laughs> so yeah. Uh, and, and I gotta say too, I, part of the reason I was convinced that they must've shot new stuff is because like, there's a whole lot of, of stuff that they show with the Amazons and their costumes were not the ones that I remember from justice league. Mm. They looked a lot more like what you see in wonder woman. Well, that's good. It was good. good. I was very relieved by that. Yeah, that's nice. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah. I'm glad that it's over uh, in the sense that I'm glad that this film has finally come out. And now, you know, maybe we don't have to listen to it anymore. I I just think about the fact that there, that this whole thing was so toxic and so nasty, particularly to women and people of color Mm -hmm. um, that what I dislike about this is that we've basically rewarded the worst, most toxic elements of fandom and said like, oh, if you complain loud enough and long enough, then things, then we'll give you the thing that you want. Yeah, this is like dealing with a toddler. Yeah, it's really exhausting. It's really tiring. And I don't think that it's, I don't think this is a good thing. This is not a triumph of, you know, the the love and passion of fandom. This is a triumph of toxicity. Right. And, uh, and also, I'm sorry, it's four fucking hours. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's where I'm kind of like, I hope that no one is hate watching this movie because I do not have four hours to spend hate watching anything. Mm-mm. Like, I just don't i'm trying to figure out a time when i would hate watch a four-hour film you and haven't I even like, gotten around to two-hour movies that i know you would love i i have seriously i have yet to watch a single film all the way through since like the middle of february yeah. like a single film in one sitting all the way through i had to stop an hour and 45 minute film the other day because i was falling asleep because it was too <laughs> late at night to be watching it like it yeah, yeah. I, I'm just like, please, please don't accuse people of hate watching this film because it's like, I, I, where do you people have time? I don't understand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But my biggest frustration and problem with all of this, just as you just pointed out, it's, yeah. it's, I'm glad that it's better. At least there's that, but it was not worth it. It was not, it was not fair to the people who have been just tormented over the last couple of years. And part of what frustrates me is the gaslighting that has happened because because people have just kind of rewritten this narrative that the movie was taken away from Zack Snyder and turned into something that was not his vision the movie was filmed they were in post-production when he stepped away Warner Brothers offered him the opportunity to push back the release date take as much time as he needed with his family and then come back and finish the film and he declined he said no my people have worked too hard. I really want to just go ahead. I totally trust Joss. I mean, that was that was that was definitely a mistake. Um, and I'm just gonna, I don't know if I would even come back. So just go finish it. And so this is to pretend that like it was taken away from him and this was what he originally intended all along is that is seriously just like top tier gaslighting is all that is. Yeah, and I also laugh at the concept that Warner Brothers would have released a four-hour film in movie theaters. Oh yeah, no, never. Like, like no, guys, no one would have released this film. They might now, maybe, maybe he could have convinced them to split it up into two movies. Maybe I don't know, but mm-hmm. this would not have been a single film released in in movie theaters. Like, no. I just like wow. Mm-mm. Anyways, so yeah, the Snyder Cut, whatever. 
Um, glad that it's over. Please, can we never talk about it again? Even though you know that we will. Yep. <laughs> so let's, I, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about today that doesn't have to do with Zack Snyder or anything like this, but we did get a question about the Oscars. And so since the Oscar, in the midst of all of this, the Oscar nominations have come out. It feels like that was a month ago. It has wasn't not it, even been a week. I was going to say, wasn't it the beginning of this week? Yep. Right? Yeah, I'm not crazy. Okay, good. Uh, so we did have a question from at Commie Mason. What's your favorite and least favorite Oscar nom of this year? Uh, so I hardly paid any attention to the Oscar nominations, except that except that I know that Chloe Zhao got a directing nomination and I am very happy about that for all kinds of reasons. First of them being, she's awesome and she made a great film. And then she is also the first woman of color to get a uh, directing nomination Mm -hmm. at the Academy Awards. So I'm very, very happy about that. Um, Least happy, probably anything to do with David Fincher and Mank. not a good film. Don't know why it's in there. I'm assuming because they had to have like a Hollywood centric film made by a white dude. Um, but like, yeah, I, I don't care. I hope they don't win anything. I think that it probably will probably Gary Oldman will get an Oscar for some reason, but yeah. Don't worry. He's not going to win. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Chadwick Boseman. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I I just want to tag on to what you just said with directing. Not only did Chloe Zhao get nominated, but Emerald Fennell got nominated as well. So it's the first time in history we've had two women nominated for Best Director in the same year. It raises the Academy's total number of women nominated for Best Director by 40%, which in 93 years is pathetic but it's very exciting and the other thing and this is something i pointed out to you uh the other thing that's really cool about this is that both women are nominated for directing films about women not about men and so that was very very cool too and i know that most of the other women that have been nominated that's been the case but um it's been a lot of like two-handers and stuff so this is like very much these are very much stories about women both of the actresses were nominated for best actress so it's it's very cool um my least favorite is more to do with what what missed than what got in although it's more kind of like i wish this had gotten in instead of that so like i really think it would have been cool if welcome to chashnia had been nominated for visual effects i don't know if you've seen that doc but um they do some really amazing deep fake technology on these people that they're rescuing it's 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 basically um in parts of russia and in you know within chechnya specifically it's it's illegal it's punishable by death to be you know to be gay to be trans it's it's horrible the treatment that those that those people receive and um it's so this documentary is about this group that specifically goes into rescue folks like they have they have a number or some way that they can get in touch with this organization and then it's like they kind of set up 
these ways to get them out and get them to safe houses and then eventually to relocate them as refugees um, to other parts of the world. And, but because so many of these people are still very much in dangerous situations, they couldn't show their real faces, but instead of like, you know, darkening, like putting the, the shadows over them and, and changing their voices or whatever, they use this deep fake technology to just make them look like totally different people. It's amazing. And it's in some cases, it's like, you don't even really, you're not totally sure <laughs> what's happening. And like there were I, the first time I watched it, there were a couple of times where I was just like, why are they, why is that person showing what they really look like? That seems super dangerous. And it's because they're not, they're being very safe and careful. So it would have been cool to see that get nominated. I also would really have loved to see some love for Birds of Prey, which did not end up on the Warner Brothers FYC site mm-hmm. until it made the shortlist in two categories. <laughs> Ugh, Warner Brothers really messed up on that one. Oh, 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 sorry. And one other that I was really happy about was the mole agent getting in for documentary. I love that movie so much. <laughs> I it's think you so talked about sweet. this, yeah. Yeah. And to see it get nominated for best or for uh, best documentary feature was just really, really cool. So yeah. Cool. Those are mine. Yeah, there's actually a pretty good a pretty good layout um on this this year's academy awards i think that you know obviously there's some things that have been missed and everything but there's there's a lot of good stuff is actually getting recognized which is nice yeah that's that's one thing that i just wanted to mention really briefly or comment on is like inevitably after the nominations are out people spend the next year complaining about what missed and it's like you know, I'm disappointed that a couple of things missed, but it's not going to ruin everything. And I'm not going to sit there and, and just whine and complain about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom not making it into Best Picture or Screenplay or whatever. That's disappointing, but also there's a limited number of spots. And it doesn't mean that people in the Academy hated that movie. And I'm so tired every year of seeing this narrative form that if something doesn't get into the lineup, it's because people hated it. That's mm-hmm. not the case snubs are incredibly rare and that word gets thrown around so often that it has become meaningless and it's just one of those things i just had to say that because it just it drives me nuts yeah yeah there's there's actually a lot of good stuff um and and a lot of di- uh, you know diverse stuff like a lot mm-hmm. of films got nominated it's not just a bunch of old white men anymore exactly which is nice or for that matter not just a bunch of old white women <laughs> right uh so so yeah so the oscars are going to be interesting this year as we kind of knew they would be but uh i mean i'm looking forward to seeing what actually takes things home um so let's move on and talk about what what was supposed to be the main topic (laughs) of our (laughs) podcast uh this week but a lot of shit happened man but let's talk about this for a little while so i wanted to talk about what makes a film feminist um, and this was sort of inspired actually uh, last week by thinking about, you know, this whole concept of, we talk a lot about female directed films, we talk a lot about, about films that have been written by women, um, that star women, that feature women in central roles, but does that necessarily make those films feminist? Uh, can a film be feminist even the, that isn't directed or even about women? but still has a feminist bent to it. And what kind of inspired this was um, a quote from Martin Scorsese, who a while ago at one point was asked about, you know, what he considered to be his most feminist film. And and his answer was that, uh, you know, most people would probably say Alice doesn't live here anymore, uh, but he felt that his most feminist film was actually Taxi Driver. 
And his justification for that was that it's a film that's very much about toxic masculinity and about um, male violence and is, you know, in his mind, and I think that he's absolutely right about this is a critique of that. Uh, and, and so I thought that was an interesting perspective. I'm not certain whether I would agree with him, <laughs> um, but I thought it was an interesting perspective that, that, that to think about this film that is so male, right? And, and deals so directly with maleness. And there are female characters in it and they're important characters, but it's very, I mean, it's focused on Travis Bickle. Yeah. Um, that it, he would still view this as being a, a feminist film. So I kind of wanted to, to just, you know, what does, what does being a feminist film mean, right? So how, what makes it feminist? Does it have to be exclusively about women or can, be, can it be about more than that? Um, so do you have, like opening thoughts on this, Karen, or do you just want me to go ahead? Uh, I mean, you'll have a much more succinct and clear answer on this than I do, I think. But uh, for me, what I what I immediately think of is the obvious that, you know, it's films where women are allowed to be women, not in service to men. Um, and that can mean a lot of things. It does not mean that women are perfect in those movies. In fact, it means quite the opposite. They are allowed to be messy. They're allowed to be problematic. They're just allowed to exist outside of the confines of male expectations. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. I, and I agree with you completely. Um, I think that it's, it's what we've talked about a lot has been the difference between subjectification and objectification. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've talked about the female gaze uh, the female gaze does not necessarily imply a woman behind a camera, right? It's more about the way that women especially are looked at um, and, and who does the looking as well. And so a, a film can be very feminist if it is treating women as subjects, not as things that are acted upon, um, but things that, you know, human beings that actually have autonomy, that actually have action, that are able to control their own lives that, um, you know, are not just there for the titillation of the assumed male viewer. And so yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that that's where, um, where you get that. I do think that there's a lot to be said about um, Scorsese's argument about toxic masculinity, that a film can be very feminist by investigating and interrogating maleness. And kind of understanding um, what toxic masculinity is and critiquing it. And some of the films that are actually made by female directors uh, are exactly that. So thinking of um, Claire Denis' uh, Beau Travail, which is, and it is almost exclusively male. Like I'm trying to even think if there's a female character in that film. Uh, I don't think that there is. <laughs> I, can't, I can't recall anyone. If there is, a, she's very small role, right? So, but I would consider that to be a very feminist film because it is this interrogation of the violence of maleness, of kind of male men's obsession with each other and of this kind of power structure. Uh, and it's also in some ways a, a celebration of um, the male body right, and an understanding of the male body that treats of it in a very different way that, a, that male directors often do. Uh, so I don't know if you had any further thoughts about that, about this like idea of, these to of toxic masculinity as being something that can be um, interrogated by films. And so it doesn't act 
actually have to feature women at all. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I it's something that I had never really thought about um, until this this Martin Scorsese's thing about Taxi Driver. And then I started, it, it did kind of shift my thinking about it. So I definitely think that there's something to that. And I think that, um, you know, we sort of talked about this a little bit last week when we were talking about films like The Hitchhiker by Ida Lupino and how yeah. there's just a very different way uh and i'm not saying that that's an example but um but just you know when when women make films that are or i mean men can do it too um but yeah when they make films that are are trying to think how to (laughs) how to say what i'm saying but um but yeah i think that that anything that has to do with critiquing the, the the way that women have been held back Mm-hmm. I think definitely, even if it's not specifically addressing women, I think can definitely qualify. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about, and we may have mentioned this actually last week, but I was thinking about um, the few Elaine May films that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of her films actually do deal directly with men, right? They're, they're about men. They're about male characters. Mikey and Nikki is, uh, is a big one. And that, that's that's about two male two male characters but what the the film does is it it looks at the toxicity of relationships and the, and at the at the pain that men go through right in not being able to express their emotions and not being able to express their love for each other and not being allowed to at some level um because of male culture and one of the things that i like about a lot of films that are made by female directors and female writers about male relationships is that there's a compassion that goes along with it yeah there's this compassionate understanding of like this culture is is actually damaging not just to women it doesn't just it's not just the cause of the objectification of women but it's damaging to men and and part of what feminism is about is not you know elevating women above men it's saying that we're equal right and that means that men should be allowed to and should be encouraged to actually feel and express emotion that isn't just anger um actually be able to bust out of these you know very toxic cycles mm-hmm. and that that's just as important so i think that you know films like mikey and nikki which completely centralize male characters are still very important uh and very feminist because they're trying to uh they're they're trying to interrogate the issues that of men existing under patriarchy yeah um so i was also trying to think about like some some other examples one of the other directors that i think definitely makes uh feminist films is Almodovar, who has made uh like all all kinds i mean three quarters of his films basically centralized female characters. And again, a lot of them are talking about these issues of toxic masculinity. Um, the toxicity of, of male sexuality sometimes. And it's interesting because Amadovar very often has, is, is viewed as having a very queer perspective. Um, so he, he venerates women in the way that, uh, you know, in the sense that, that women present a more hopeful um, a healthier kind of society but are also in in much the same way that gay men are kind of abused by patriarchal culture and hyper masculine culture um women are also abused by that 
And so there's a lot of affinity, I think, in, in most of his films between, um, between queerness and femininity. And as a result, he winds up making a lot of films that are very much about female characters that are often about mother-son relationships, but also mother-daughter relationships and just relationships between women. Um, did you have thoughts about, about him? Um, so this is where I admit I really haven't <laughs> experienced. Oh much. my God. I know. Oh my God. You know, so here's the thing. So yeah. just this week I was thinking about this cause I, I feel like there's so many films that I've never watched and then it's like, you know, I say, oh, I like movies. And then I start talking about things or, oh, I like sports. And I, you know, then people start trying to find out everything I know about sports, which is not that much. I just like watching them, you know? So <laughs> I'm realizing like, I know a little bit about a lot of things. So I feel, I don't know. I don't know a lot about <laughs> any one thing in particular. And so I feel like there's so many films that I have not seen yet. And so many filmmakers that I just, I know kind of a little bit about them but not that much so. well I mean I think that that's true for all of us I I like yeah. Amadovar because when I was fairly young I got I saw Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown which mm -hmm. is just a hilarious film I if you have not seen it like go and watch it like it's yeah. it's just it's been really, on my list for so long it's just really funny <laughs> like it's and there's there's a lot of humor there's a lot of like extremity like it's kind of a crazy movie um and but a lot of his films are like that it's it's this, you know, and, and Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown is actually a good example because it's very much about women, but it's about like women literally losing their minds <laughs> because of the nature of patriarchal culture. <laughs> like, like they finally get pushed to the point where they're just like, all right, that's it. I'm, I've lost it. That's it. Like, I can't do this anymore. So he made a movie about us is what you're saying. Pretty much. Yeah. Like, like it's just like, all right, I'm just going to go fucking insane. <laughs> like, this is, um, but, but I mean, I think that he's a good example of, uh, and th this is actually a question that was asked from at Nicole Schmidt 04. Are there any films directed by men that you find qualifies as feminist? Totally. And I, I think that Alma Dovar is a very good example of that. Uh, a lot of his films, maybe not all of them, but a lot of his films definitely qualify as feminist. Um, one of the other directors that I immediately thought of is John Cassavetes, who uh, made A Woman Under the Influence. Uh, a lot of his films are very much about, again, this, this whole like women existing under the yoke of, of patriarchal society and needing to break free of it. And I think as a filmmaker, he is very, very sympathetic to that and represents femininity in a way that, again, subjectifies women, not objectifies women. Were there mm -hmm. other directors that you could think of? Oh yeah, immediately. Our, our buddy, Paul Feig. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> basically every movie he's ever made. And one of the biggest reasons is because his movies are written, produced by women. He listens to women when he's making these movies. It's yeah. an amazing concept, you know? Amazing what can happen when you do that, guys. But. But yeah, like, I mean, from Ghostbusters, which is incredibly subversive and it's hilarious. And so people really ignore whether intentionally or, or just by missing it, um, just how, how smart that film is and, and how much, honestly, how much more advanced it is than the original film, which I also oh, yeah. love, but you know, it's like, it's like, Ivan Reitman forgot <laughs> that they were scientists 
<laughs> they just be, they just like create this business and become exterminators. And I love that in Paul Feig's version, um, that they remember that they're scientists and they're constantly working on stuff. It's great, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Paul Feig's one. Another one is, that for me is Ridley Scott. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and and um, I don't think all of his films are, but I think that he has had some that like if you look at alien and a lot of people try to tell me that aliens is better and i wholeheartedly disagree because uh i i just if you watch the original film it's interesting because ellen doesn't really emerge as like the hero until pretty far into it Mm -hmm. and the movie is not centered around her the fact that she's a woman is actually like just kind of it just happened that way it was originally written as a male character um but i don't feel like she's she's a very masculine character she's just this you know this person again a scientist she's you know she's on this expedition and stuff really um just this really fascinating character and she's a badass and then what james cameron does with aliens is he has to make her this maternal character that she's yeah. driven by this loss by by the fact that she chose a career over her daughter and it's just been eating her up you know that kind of thing and so it's like oh it drives me crazy what happens and and i mean i enjoy a lot of the alien movies but what happens to ellen over the course of <laughs> of that series frustrates me and it's because of what cameron did not because of what uh, Ridley Scott did mm-hmm. um but also I think Thelma and Louise um G.I. Jane I mean those are films that I think of that I'm just like yeah I really love the women in those films and they're not perfect but I think that they're really great uh really great female characters mm-hmm. and and I think that they those are films that I would consider to be feminist films I think that's interesting because he's not one that I would necessarily have have uh have chosen but but i i think that you make a very good argument for him actually definitely for some of those films mm-hmm. um and yeah definitely i mean paul feig spy <laughs> i mean come on yes like, <laughs> where's our sequel to spy man spy. come on i need more of spy. i need more spy <laughs> which which i'm still so angry about because i did not watch that film for so long because i was like oh it looks just sort of stupid and like all that and then i saw i was like oh this is amazing like okay i didn't realize that this is what it was gonna be it's so great Um, i love it so much yeah it was such a great film uh i i you know what i i'm gonna say someone and people are gonna get mad at me but um i actually i actually think that a number of alfred hitchcock's films are very feminist I I was thinking that too, actually, but then I was trying to like <laughs> validate my argument and I couldn't. <laughs> well, and particularly, and I've actually, this is, I've been working on like some stuff about his British films for a while now, but, but that's one of my arguments about a lot of his British films is that his British films are very feminist in a lot of ways. Um, and, and again, not saying that, that all of his films are feminist or anything like that, but there is kind of an understanding of an identification with um, women and female characters and particularly again, the subjectification of women um, as, as, you know, full, complete human beings who also make mistakes and are also understandable for the mistakes that they make. Uh, so yeah, I would definitely make an argument, I think, for um, at least a number of his, his early films for being feminist and, and also some of his later ones, admittedly. Uh, 
you know, I'm not saying Marnie or anything like that, but <laughs> notorious uh, suspicion um, to a certain degree, spellbound. Uh, and then I would also say movies like Blackmail and The Lady Vanishes are, are very feminist films. Yeah, The Lady Vanishes definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, whatever. Address address all abuse to our uh, Twitter account. I will <laughs> I will respond and call you an idiot because I don't think you've actually seen some of these films. So thank you. That's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> but that's the thing too. I mean, first of all. I think that Hitchcock is a widely, widely uh, misunderstood director. Um, yeah. And, but, but separate from that, I think that it's funny because there are some times where I think men direct really great female characters almost by accident, but then there are others like the ones that we've talked about that it's very intentional and they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and, and I do encourage people to, um, and this is something I've begun doing more, uh, par par partially thanks to uh, our friend Nina, um, to actually look at not just the director, but the writer of films. Mm -hmm. And particularly when you're talking about um, Hollywood, like early Hollywood films, uh, classical cinema, because there are a lot of films, so a lot of George Cukor's films were also written by women. Yeah. Uh, or one of the screenwriters was a woman. And the same thing is true for, for Alfred Hitchcock. Like, so actually notice when there is a female writer for the screenplay or for the original story, because things shift just a little bit. I recently watched um, A Life of Her Own, which isn't necessarily a feminist film per se, but it, it is a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and it's a George Cukor film, it stars Lana Turner. It was written by a woman. It was actually written by a woman that I, when I looked her up, she she was blacklisted um, at one point. And, uh, and she also wrote the original play for Funny Girl. Um, but you could tell that it was a female writer because the way that the women, that the female characters spoke to one another was just different. It felt real. It felt like this is actually the way that women talk to each other. And so I think that it's important to note that when, um, when you see a film, you're just like, man, these female characters really, see this, this guy really gets it, right? And then actually look at who wrote the screenplay. Because, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that that says a lot also, because, you know, someone like Paul Feig, a lot of the women, a lot of the people who write his screenplays are women. And he obviously is willing to listen to uh, female writers and to actually incorporate that into the way that he makes movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that that's, if you go back in, in history, I think too that that's why certain films written by like Francis Marion are really, just to go back a little bit onto what we were talking about too earlier about, mm -hmm. um, you know, even films that are completely male that don't even have women in their casts um or very few uh when when women write them and when women direct them they they just have a different feel to them the conversations are different the um the focus the emotion it's it's just very different and so yeah and and that is especially especially like i can tell when yeah kind of what you were saying i can tell when i'm watching a movie and it's two women talking to each other. I can tell who wrote that movie. I remember, I did not know who had written or directed it, but I remember sitting in the theater watching Ralph Breaks the Internet, the second Wreck-It Ralph movie. 
and it hadn't even gotten to the princess scene yet but i was watching it and i was listening to the way vanellope talks and i was just like this movie was written by a woman i just knew it <laughs> and afterwards i saw you know in the credits and i was like oh sure enough co-written by i can't remember who it was now but i was just like yeah you can just you just can tell you just know yeah. just because like, yes, women just talk right. differently <laughs> This sounds right. And I think that the actresses have an easier time with it because it, it comes more naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, my, so we, we did have another question that, that feeds into this from at Noah underscore Saturn. What is your favorite feminist horror film? And um, I think we've talked about this a couple of times, but I, this, the answer always changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking about this, I was like, what is my favorite feminist horror film? Uh, one of my favorites now is definitely Slumber Party Massacre 2. <laughs> I'm so happy that I got you onto the Slumber Party Massacre train. <laughs> okay, but just to note, I did recommend the second film to you. You did. That's I true. did. I was just but like, oh my God, you have to watch the second this. one if I hadn't made you watch the first one. True. Absolutely true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I th- I mean, I I guess, is that feminist? Yeah, probably is. I would make the argument that it is. And it definitely taps into something that um, that women understand. <laughs> oh, so what yes. about you, Karen? What's your favorite feminist horror film? Um, man, uh, there's, so many, there's so many good ones, but I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't think about this ahead of time. So now I got to think through, like, what are mine? I love A, a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, mm-hmm. Black Christmas is <laughs> great. Um, I feel like there's one that I'm just not thinking of that's just right there. Oh, I got another one. Uh, okay. Speaking of films that are, are directed by men, the remake of Suspiria. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that one's good. There's an international film that I saw recently. I'm trying to remember which one it was. I cannot think of it, but oh, The Babadook, I think, is a good yeah. one. Um, I need to rewatch The Witch still. I love The Witch. That that actually, now that you mention it, just like, oh yeah, I love that movie. Um, the Yeah, The Witch, I think, takes a couple of viewings to completely uh decide about it uh (laughs) even just to even just to be able to follow what it's really up to um it's it's one of those films that the first time i watched it i i was like i like this but i don't know how like what i'm supposed to take away from it um and and some of that is because it's just the language is so difficult and the pacing is you know it's very slow pacing yet it's kind of in places it feels almost impenetrable Mm-hmm. um and then if you've seen it a couple of times it's like you you kind of you know what to expect you know the basic plot right and then you can kind of actually pay more attention to what it's it's trying to do and whether or not it's successful at it and i think that mileage does vary on that film but i think it's <laughs> one of the more interesting films that has come out recently it's funny because like robert eggers the director so i've seen two films by him and that might be all he's done so far features but he did uh, he did The Witch and he did The Lighthouse. And I didn't really like either of those movies, but I'm so fascinated by him as a filmmaker that like, that's almost irrelevant, you know? <laughs> like, it doesn't matter that I didn't like them. What he does with film is really fascinating. And I want to see more from him. 
unlike it's funny because it's like there's other directors where i think that what they do is technically very good i don't like the movies and i don't care to see more mm-hmm. you know eggers i think like you say he he does something with um with cinema that is very different mm-hmm. and uh and i mean i loved the lighthouse but <laughs> i like walked out of that movie and was just like i have no idea if that movie actually worked does like, it even did, exist I don't know. yeah like i don't know that that movie worked in the way that it was supposed to but there's so much there Mm-hmm. that I even if it's incoherent even if it's ultimately it doesn't work I'm still really happy that it exists <laughs> which is is a unique it's, experience definitely it's a thing it's a movie it's, it is a thing yeah but I'm really interested in this what is it the Northman that he has next yeah he's got that he's also got he's he's been talking about it. I don't know if we're ever actually going to get to see it but he's supposedly before COVID happened he was preparing to do um a version of nosferatu oh uh which i was like oh that sounds interesting but I, yeah. I don't know if that's still happening or not probably eventually yes i'd be interested to see his take on that film yeah that story uh so we have one more question and this is from last week and i sort of <laughs> passed it off because i could not think of anything i still am having difficulty thinking of things but i have thought of more things um so the question is from at paula fangirls what are your five what are five female characters who resemble your personality the most and what is a film with a female character who people dislike but you actually like the character um i was trying to think of like female characters that really resemble my personality <laughs> and there are those see it's weird because i'm like well there are those that i identify with yeah but they're not necessarily me right yeah it's a really that's a tough question yeah Be- for exactly that reason yeah um so i did actually i came up with a couple <laughs> Mm, uh one of them being holtzman in um in ghostbusters 2016 uh don't know if if i necessarily resemble her personality but god i want to be her (laughs) like i really do well it's funny because last week when i had said okay yeah sure we can talk about this next week and we should also pick a character for each other that's right the only person that i could think of for you like (laughs) i think of Holtzman I think of you (laughs) not because you're not because you're exactly like her or anything but just I don't know just she's she's unexpected and quirky and brilliant (laughs) and that is you (laughs) oh thank you that's so sweet um (laughs) Uh, the the other character that I very much identify with, and I guess that this is probably what it's coming down to, is uh, Kathy Gale from the Avengers. And this is this is the, a character that Honor Blackman plays. Probably many people listening to this are not going to know who she is, but she is like an angry, sarcastic bitch, and I love her. And she's just like she's just like God, shut up and go away. Like that's her basic <laughs> attitude towards men, and I completely understand that. I love her. She's also like incredibly intelligent and brilliant. And again, you kind of you're kind of like, is this like me or just someone that I want to be? And I, you know, I think probably someone that I want to be more than anything. Well, and if you um, want to be her, then that means that you must have something inside of you that is like some, her. So it works. Yeah, some kind of affinity. So what about you, Karen? Who are who are your five? Do you have any female characters that you feel that just resemble your personality a great deal? I'm trying to think of one for you. 
Yeah, that's the thing is like, I definitely could not think of five and I don't know why because I, I, I'm constantly watching movies where I'm like, oh yeah, I love this girl. Like she's, she's me or whatever. But the first one that comes to my mind <laughs> is, I almost don't want to say, but it's Annie from Bridesmaids, Kristen Wiig's character. <laughs> she's just a mess and she does not know where she's going in her life and I'm way too old to be like kind of feeling like I'm still at that place but I feel like it's so much (laughs) I think a lot of us identify with Annie honestly honestly. let's get ready to party (laughs) so please I'm poor there's a woman on colonial dress on the wing of this plane they're lying to us people yeah but i just you know like she has these great conversations with her mom she has like this you know she's feeling like resentful and hurt because her best friend is moving on with her life and she's kind of stuck you know it's like just everything about that character it's like i I may not be there right now, but I have definitely been there and I have handled things about as healthfully as she has. (laughs) (laughs) So she's definitely one. And then another one that I've always felt like, kind of what you're saying, like, this is the person I want to be when I grow up. And it's Olympia Dukakis's character in Steel Magnolias. (laughs) I... Love her so much. She's just this together woman. She knows all the hot gossip. She doesn't let anything hold her back. She doesn't care what anybody thinks, but she's also like genuinely a kind person too. So yeah, I like, I love her. Yeah, I got that. So what about the second part of this question? Again, I was, I still have difficulty thinking of someone. What is a film with a female character people dislike, but you actually like them? yeah um that's that's one that i was struggling with i mean cassandra (laughs) kane (laughs) (laughs) true or to that to that for that matter harley (laughs) quinn like yeah just all the women in in birds of prey like men have decided they hate that movie because they hate the way the women are presented and i think they're all brilliant all of them i well you know for that matter the women in ghostbusters yep um you know, again, it's like who dislikes these characters versus, you know, who doesn't. Um, yeah, I, I think all of the women in Ghostbusters that I just love. And that includes, you know, I, I think a lot of the criticism around Ghostbusters was actually aimed at um, any, everyone who's not Kate McKinnon. <laughs> um, the, so the, the others, but I, again, I actually think that a lot honestly a lot of the characters that Melissa McCarthy plays I really like and people seem to really enjoy just like beating up on her um and and I don't understand why necessarily yeah that's the thing it's like it's easier for me to just think of entire movies that are really good movies that people hate and that I'm like no you're wrong Tammy is really funny (laughs) (laughs) the kitchen oh yes the kitchen mm-hmm. i love the women in that movie yep yeah it seems like the only one that people really liked in that was elizabeth moss's character which i found a little weird yes like i think she's great but it's weird that she's the only one that people liked hmm, yeah. i don't know i think that says something i'm not certain what it is. Uh, yeah. uh- <laughs> i think men secretly want to be butchered by elizabeth moss I, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> well, I think that that's a great sentiment to end on. Um, thank you all so much for listening. We have had yet again one of those episodes where we seem to be talking about really terrible stuff, but also really fun stuff. So, you know, that's what life is right now. Um, exactly. As always, we want to thank our patrons very much. So thank you so much to Adriana Ali. Uh, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Um, we're really grateful as always for everybody that continues to contribute to us. If you do want to become a patron, um, we've got fun stuff coming up. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash citizen dame. We also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod, where you can buy all sorts of exciting things, including masks. Wear your damn masks. Uh, and we do have a Ko-Fi. That's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame if you just want to throw us a couple of dollars and don't want to make a, a Patreon commitment at the moment. You can, of course, get in touch with us in many different ways. We are on, we are on Twitter and Instagram at CitizenDamePod. Our email is CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. And our website is CitizenDamePod.com, where we have reviews, and we have editorials, and we have essays, and we have all sorts of fun stuff. So check that out, and more stuff will be coming in uh, the coming weeks. I and dropped course, the ball on the Citizen Dame 5 this week. I apologize. <laughs> Next next week, we will have that up again. Um, it's going to be great. <laughs> this is a good one, too. Like it this is. one, this one, I'd almost forgotten about. And then I put some thought into it. I was like, I like this. Mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah. This is the one where I really want us to start Citizen Dame Productions and make <laughs> these movies. <laughs> Just make these movies. Yeah. With all of the money that we have. Yes. <laughs> uh, and of course, you can get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We are taking next week off, I believe, uh, but yes. we will be back after that having more conversations about hopefully, please, God, happier things. Oh, uh, man, I hope so. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us and we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Big whoop. Okay, let's um let's go take a nap. What do you say? Miss, you cannot be up here. Hello, Grandpa. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just want to be here with my friends because I'm with this group. Um, the sign just went off. Can't she stay up here for like a minute? Uh, just absolutely talk? not. Coach passengers are not allowed up here in first class. Really? It's policy. I'm sorry. Oh, this is a very This is a very strict plane that I'm on. Welcome to Germany. On Wiedersehen, asshole. (laughs) All right, uh, why don't you go on? I'm gonna go take a nap. I'm tired. I think it's a good idea. Catch you on the flip side, motherfuckers. (laughs) I'm sorry. She's. I'm leaving. Thank you. This should be open because it's civil rights. This is the 90s. Right. It's not. You're you're in the wrong decade. You are. Okay, I am. You are. Thank you. Holy shit, what did you give her?